background and how you got to Interfaith. Okay, so my name is Rick Doan, Executive Director of Interfaith Social Services in Quincy, Massachusetts. Um, I grew up here on the South Shore. Okay. Uh, I grew up in Weymouth. My mom grew up in Quincy, my dad in Duxbury. But uh, my family's been in Massachusetts for nearly 400 years. So for me, interfaith is very personal because the people that we're serving are people that I've grown up with, people that I've gone to church with. Um, you know, having such strong roots in the area, the people that we're serving literally are my neighbors in need. Um, I never thought when I was younger that I'd be working in the public sector. You know, everybody has different ideas when they're young. Um, I wanted to be an actor for a while. That's how I started college, was an acting major. Really? And then I served a mission for two years in Brazil for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And so it was there um, as a missionary that I spent two years thinking of other people. You know, what it was... Uh, an amazing experience, mm -hmm. but when I came back, I looked at my life and I thought, man, I love that. I don't want to do a regular job for the rest of my life. I want to do something to help people. So I started volunteering. While I was going to college, okay. I switched to a history degree because it was versatile, um, and then just started volunteering at tons of nonprofits just using that as an opportunity to try out all the this sector and see what would, what interested me. Um, and then after I graduated, I went to school in Utah. Okay. And after I graduated, came back here to Massachusetts and uh, just got an entry-level job in the public sector and found an amazing job where after a few years, I was able to oversee the allocation of funding for that organization. Mm -hmm. And that funding was going to emergency food programs throughout the state. Mm -hmm. And what that allowed me to do was to immerse myself in hundreds of organizations throughout the state, see how they work, see how they operate, and figure out where I'd like to work, mm -hmm. where I'd like to, you know, end up. And that's how I came across Interfaith. And, you know, I live in Randolph, grew up in Weymouth. Uh, Quincy is where Interfaith is located. It was a perfect fit, and um, I love it. So what's your role within the organization? So I'm the executive director. I've been there for almost 12 years now. Um, and uh, my kids literally don't remember me working anywhere else. This is, this is they, they've all grown up at Interfaith Social Services. So for those that don't know Interfaith, what is Interfaith? So Interfaith Social Services is a one-stop shop for local families in need. Operate a mental health counseling center, a food pantry. We uh, offer a homelessness prevention program. Uh, we have one of the best thrift shops in the area that helps fund our programs. But that idea of synergy, of our programs working together, it is in our roots and it's practically how we operate. So, for instance, our old, one of our oldest programs is our mental health counseling center. We were founded shortly after World War II to help families in crisis, to help children in need. And all of our programs have grown out of that desire, the food pantry, feeding local families, but also bringing joy to children. 
uh, that's one of the main missions of our team. And we do that in a variety of ways. Um, but then also keeping a roof over people's heads. So if I were to ask, someone to ask you what the mission was, what, sure. how could you sum it up? Because you guys do so much, <laughs> and it's, it's, such a, it's such a neat place. Interfaith, um, well, I mean, I, I don't want to, our mission statement verbatim, but no, you don't have we to. are a, a grassroots organization that mobilizes the community to provide basic needs for our neighbors in need. We are, like I said, very volunteer-based. So every week, even in the midst of the pandemic, we have 120 volunteers coming in to serve within our program. We only have two full-time staff members and uh, uh, almost 20 part-time staff between our therapists and our program managers. Just two full-time staff? Two full-time. Me and the business manager are our only full-time staff members. Um, But that is on purpose. Using so many volunteers allows us to focus our resources on our clients instead of on overhead. We're able to provide the basic needs for people. And, um, you know, the community really rallies behind that. And uh, time and time again, when a need arises, they're there to help out. You've been there for what, 12 years now. What, what, why is it so special to you? Because it clearly is. If Because I, I know you're super passionate about it. You've been there for a while. What, what, what makes it so special to you? On a it's special because literally we're helping the people that are in my neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Um, there have been – I'll give you an example. This – Christmas Eve. My kids were there. They Every Christmas Eve, I bring my sons with me to serve in the food pantry. It's Christmas Eve. I get a call from a client. She got the wrong toys when she came to pick them up for herself. So she came in, and there was a mix-up with the numbers. And she had two young sons, and she got the, the, the gifts that should have gone wrong. to two uh, older girls. So, I mean, there's no yeah, you can't really there. Got a call, and we were literally wrapping up. We're ready to leave. I look at her address, and I see that it's right around the corner from my house. And so I said, no problem. And she, her son had a doctor's appointment. She didn't have a ride. And it was so nice to be able to say, we're going to bring it back. And drop those gifts off at her house. That is not the first time that's happened either. <laughs> Christmas Eve, my second year. At Interfaith, I was the last person in the building, ready to leave, get a phone call. Are you still there? I couldn't get the gifts for my child. I'm so sorry. I looked, and she lived in Randolph, right down the street from me. Mm -hmm. Different family, and I was able to bring that to her. The night before Thanksgiving, I get a call from from somebody. Um, I, my Mm brother-in-law, has some severe uh, limitations. And because of COVID, he's not going to be able to come eat with us. Is I'm trying to find somebody that can deliver a meal for him. And we happen to have a bunch of, of prepared meals donated by Blue Cross Blue Shield for Thanksgiving. And I said, no problem. And I dropped it off to him. And he was so grateful. And this woman was so grateful. That gratitude, that's what's special. I mean, it's I deal with numbers and I write grants yeah. and I, my, my job is to constantly remind people that every statistic that we quote is a family in need mm-hmm. 
with their own unique challenge. Mm. Um, so anyway, it's the people that we help and the volunteers who make that possible that um, are what make us so special. How do you manage all the different aspects of, of what you guys do? Because I look at other organizations, and some are just food pantries. Some are just doing Christmas-type gifts. How do you manage all those different aspects in one organization? Um, with a great staff, mm -hmm. great board, great volunteers. Um, and, you know, taking, biting off, not biting off more than I can chew, and taking things slowly. And uh, jumping on good ideas when they come up. You know, sometimes I talk to other people, they get frustrated in the organizations they work in because they're so siloed and they, um, the, the size of our organization, because we are so small, allows us to be nimble and quickly adapt so that when a need comes up or there's a good idea, we can, we can take that on and it improves our program. Um, you know, it's building a good team. That's what it comes down to, having fun. Hmm. Um, the thrift shop. Talk about that. I know that's that's something that you that you like to talk about. That's that's really important to what you guys do. Well, the thrift shop is uh, it's special because of when it was founded. Mm -hmm. It was founded in the '70s in the in the midst of turmoil in the organization. That the organization almost had to close in the 70s, in the mid-70s. They opened the thrift shop, and that income stream became a lifeline for all of our business. It is all volunteer-operated. We don't do pickup. All the clothes and other items come in for us. And it's such an important fundraiser. It also allows us to do things that other organizations can't. When somebody, a client, comes in, and they are the victim of domestic violence, struggling to get back up, on their, back up on their feet and they've just moved into a new apartment and we can say, hold on a second. And we go through the thrift shop and we get them all the plates and napkins and, and, sh and shades and lamps and things they need and we bring it out and it's so emotional. Or people who are going to a job interview for the first time. We're able to give them that free clothing that they need mm -hmm. because of that resource. So it's not just about the income we get. It's about the, the, the way we're able to adapt and respond immediately to needs. When someone has a fire in their house, we're able to get them things quickly if they need them. Um, and it's one of our most important fundraisers. Yeah. Talk about the food pantry, because I was, I was fortunate enough to, you gave us a tour when we were in the same you know, program together, and the food pantry is really impressive. And you know, also, talk about how it works, how you guys get food and all that, because I think that's a really interesting aspect as sure. well. So our food pantry, it's one of the largest food pantries on the South Shore and in Greater Boston. Um, we distribute about a million pounds of food a year to our, uh, to our clients. The pandemic, since the pandemic began, we had to change virtually overnight how we operate the program. So it used to be clients would come in, they'd sit in our waiting room, a volunteer would go out and sit down and talk with them, what foods do they want? What don't they want? What's the situation in their family? And then they'd come back, put the food order together, and help the client out for the call. Everything changed that March 13th. And, you know, when we opened back up on that Monday, the first thing that we had to do 
wants to come in the building now. So we had to revamp how we did our social pro program and go to uh, a contactless system at cars. So a volunteer goes up, gets basic information while a client is sitting in their car. And then volunteers put that together and bring it out and put it in front of the screen. But about 30% of our clients walk or take public transportation. How do we yeah. help those people? So it was figuring out a system where outside we can serve them quickly. Um, one of the other things because of the pandemic, virtually overnight about half of our volunteers no longer felt comfortable coming in or you know, were told by their doctors they shouldn't. So we lost half of our workforce just as we were expecting numbers to start. So that was a challenge that the community rallied but half of our food comes from food rescue. So our truck is on the road every day picking up the rotisserie chickens, the sandwiches, the baked goods, the pies, the pastries, all those items at supermarkets that might have been thrown away. We pick them up and get them immediately into the hands of hungry families in the area. Those first couple weeks of the pandemic, that food wasn't there. So, we lost half of our volunteers. Numbers were picking up. We had to revamp our whole program. And we had less than half the food we normally had. So, we were scrambling. We were clearing off supermarket shelves just to keep our shelves stocked, paying retail prices, which are outrageous. Because um, I remember you talking about this before about the price that you guys pay yeah. to stock the pantries different than. Retail. Well, so there's there's two different things. We have half of our food is coming from food rescue, right? And the other half is coming from a variety of sources, right? Mostly from the Greater Boston Food Bank. So at the Greater Boston Food Bank, they have the contracts for free federal food, for food that the state of Massachusetts purchases. It goes through them. Mm -hmm. They also purchase food at lower prices, yeah. and we pay a shared maintenance fee for them. Right. So. Half of our food is coming from the food bank. The food bank couldn't source food. Yeah. So we couldn't get it from the supermarkets. There were shortages at the food bank. And we were daily sending volunteers down to clear off the shelves, get as much rice as we can and peanut butter. Um, luckily, things are good now. Yeah. But we're still spending more than we ever have. In the food pantry, December of 2019, we served about 700 households that December of 2020, we served 1,100 households. So the numbers have gone up significantly, yeah. but it's been this fall that the numbers went up. It was not April and May and June. Uh, it was since about September that we've seen the numbers skyrocket. So what's the most urgent needs of your organization? Um, you know, somebody asked me what we need donated. Everybody thinks of tuna yeah. and mac and cheese and those kinds yeah. of items. Those are fine. But the thing that our food pantry needs the most are feminine hygiene products, specifically pads, mm -hmm. and diapers, specifically sizes five and six. That is something that our food pantry provides to our clients. We consider it a basic necessity. Those are things no federal assistance purchases those items. You can't buy diapers with food stamps or WIC. 
it does not cover feminine hygiene products. Um, and so we provide those for our clients. Um, so we would we always recommend those donations. After that, it is still, it used to be canned fruit and vegetables were easily easy to get. Since the pandemic started, we can't source them. So we are telling people to donate canned fruits and vegetables, but also fresh fruits and vegetables, oranges, apples, potatoes, those kinds of things. If someone wants to learn more about Interfaith and what you guys do, where can they go? I mean, we're all over social media, so mm-hmm. you can go to our Facebook page, Instagram. Uh, our, our website was recently redesigned by Mavro Creative, a local company here on the South Shore. They did a fantastic job. Um, but the thing that we like, that I would point out, if you do go to the webpage, to look at the testimonials. We have client testimonials, we have volunteer testimonials. Reading people's actual experiences, hearing about them, um, that gives you a real feel for what we do. Um, you mentioned volunteering and the need for volunteers. If someone's watching this or listening to this and they want to volunteer, what do they need to know? Um, well, they need to be. They need to be able to lift lift about 50 pounds. So that's something. Sometimes we have volunteers who come to us who might not be able to do that. And we'll find a volunteer on our team, whether it's through our thrift shop or answering the phones. But most volunteers, it's a pretty active position. So they are bagging groceries. They're unloading our truck. They're stocking shelves. They're taking things out. And comfortable. In the midst of this pandemic, it's people... It's a challenge. Everybody's in different places. And unfortunately, we've had some volunteers come in who are very, very scared. And being in an environment where there are other volunteers or interacting with the public, we ask them to to wait until things subside a little bit before they come in. Because it is an environment that is active and you're around other people. Enforce social distancing measures. We will not stand for anybody who's not abiding by them. People who aren't wearing masks are not allowed to volunteer. Um, but it's one of our bigger challenges these days because everybody's in so many different places. And when you've got 120 people in the office at one time, and everybody comes at a different idea about what should be happening activities, it's a unique challenge that I'm looking forward to getting to. Yeah, I can imagine. It's, yeah. I think every nonprofit executive director is really feeling that. How do I manage you know, my volunteers, the people we serve, my board, staff? How do I do well, it? We want to respect people. Yeah. You know, it, we're not going to try to convince them that they're wrong. Yeah. Or they're not going to convince us that, you know, it's just, it's a sense of unity. And we're all in this together. How do I find a way to make everyone comfortable? And all these have, different people. Yeah. And we yeah. have. We have fun. But yeah. it's, it's something that I look forward to getting into. <laughs> so as you and I both know, the nonprofit world can be extremely rewarding, but at the same time can be really challenging. What's the biggest challenges you face in the nonprofit world? Coming through this holiday season. It's January. We're on the other side of the mm-hmm. holidays. Those couple months of November and December can be very challenging because people often want to do something altruistic, but expect you know, it's it's not really. 
you know, they say, so this is what I want to do, and this is what you're going to do to accept this thing. With whatever project they've come up with, the thing that I love is when people call us or email us or whatever and say, what do you guys need about this? And then I'm able to tell them, well, currently we've run out of meat. You know, this is what we need, or we need diapers, or, or we really need money to buy produce. Um, it can be overwhelming at times uh, because this it's misplaced altruism. Yeah. Where instead of saying, what does this organization need? They say, this is what I like to do, so I'm going to do this for this. And you're, and you're like, this is great, but what am I going to do with this? Yeah, it's chal- it, it, it can be a challenge. Right. Um, and also, you know, understanding the basic who we are. Mm-hmm. We are not a homeless shelter. We work, Father Bill's is the homeless shelter, one of the homeless shelters in Tri-Shore, um, as well as Friends of the Homeless. We work for both organizations. But people don't understand the basic difference between what a food pantry is and what a congregant meal site is mm-hmm. or a, uh, you know, like a soup kitchen. So oftentimes we'll have people who bring in trays of prepared food or loaves of unlabeled bread. You can't give that out. And it kills me mm-hmm. to throw that out. Yeah. But when someone brings in a tray of food left over after, you know, a family get-together or something, you can't do anything with that. And so it's just, it's a basic understanding. And people get frustrated. Well, what do you mean? Well, we don't just, we don't serve meals here. We're distributing groceries to help people who don't have food at their home. Um, so it's just, you know, taking a look, understanding the, the landscape a little bit. How is the organization funded? Because I know there's a couple different mechanisms in that. Yeah, so we're completely privately funded. Okay. And that private funding comes from individual donors, amazing people that support us, uh, from our fundraising events, from our thrift shop, from grants that we write from private foundations and businesses, um, as well as we have a mental health counseling center that we operate. And we do have some people that pay insurance, Mm -hmm. so the insurance payments for that help subsidize that program. So it's quite a variety of, of streams of we talked about the challenges of the nonprofit world. What's been the most rewarding aspect? I mean, it's the people. You know, I said that that's what it is. It's it's the volunteers, it's the clients, and it's seeing our community in action. I tell people all the time, I get to see the best of our society. I get to see amazingly charitable people who donate. I get to see clients who are humbling themselves to ask volunteers who want to give their time out selflessly. It's, it's amazing. You can get bogged down. There are problem volunteers. There's problem donors. There's problem clients. But it's the minority. Most people are giving out of a sense of wanting to help. Um, and that generosity actually is allowing us for our mental health counseling center to launch a new initiative. This month of February and March, we're going to pilot a program where we are going to offer four free counseling sessions to everybody who comes to us. We don't want any financial barriers to prevent someone from reaching us. We have lost too many people to addiction during this pandemic. Mm-hmm. 
children suffering, so many people are feeling isolated and depressed. We want more people to reach out for help. Our counseling center is a safety mechanism. So when somebody calls and wants to get help, and there's uh, there's a, a, a very high copay or something like that, they get referred to us, and we offer a sliding fee scale to those individuals. We don't want to have that conversation with if somebody calls us for help, we want to say, let's get you in to see a therapist and hear what you're saying and get them in to see somebody. Not, okay, what's your income? Let's set up a sliding fee scale. We can do that later. Let's get you the help you need right away. So our generous donors have made that possible. That's great. And so we're piloting that to see how it goes over the next couple months, but we're really excited about it. What's something about the nonprofit world that those that are in it may not realize or understand? Uh, we're a business. You know, we're a business like any other. You know, our, our product is to help people, but, uh, you know, lots of times people would rather give income in product mm-hmm. than they would give a financial donation. Um, you know, sometimes that's disheartening because it just shows a lack of trust. You know, we are stewards of the donation where it's not our funding. We simply are stewards to make sure it's mm-hmm. used in a responsible way. Um, so as far as what people don't know, we need funding to survive. And uh, that is what we need the most. As much as you might like to buy a box of mac and cheese, we can buy a case of it for the same price that you pay retail. Um, so it's understanding that, understanding that the ins and outs a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, I can't think of anything else. Yeah. <laughs> and before we wrap up, is there anything you want listeners to know about you or Interfaith? Um, you know, the thing that I always say in these types of opportunities is thank you. Those two words, they're my favorite words. I say them all the time. I say them to anybody because it's our, it's the south shore of this community that is keeping our doors open, that is keeping food on our shelves, that's keeping housing over people's heads, donations right here from the South Shore. So I tell people, if you're shopping local and you're dining local, donate local. That, I don't know why, that idea mm-hmm. of local some, sometimes doesn't apply to nonprofits, um, but it definitely does. So before people donate, to an out-of-state organization or an international organization, look locally first. That's great words to leave us on. So thank you for joining us today. Greatly appreciate it. My pleasure. Always happy to talk nonprofits and not all about interfaith.